Amen. Well, we are on our fourth message in our series, One-Liners, and uh, we've been kind of going through them. I, I love all of you who have emailed me suggestions for one-liners, and I just thought I would say this at the outset. Uh, the series is already written, so uh, mo- most pastors will do a major, major Bible study and then turn that Bible study into, you know, five, six, seven, eight sermons. So uh, unfortunately, I've got all the one-liners I need. Some of the one-liners you submitted actually have nothing to do with the Bible. They're great one-liners, but they have nothing to do with the Bible. You know, uh, this too shall pass. Yeah, I suppose you could find a scripture that could attach to it, but uh, it's really not in there. So, you know, uh, fact of the matter is sometimes it could take a long time to pass. But anyway, uh, we're in our fourth (laughs) message here and so let's go on and open up with a word of prayer heavenly father as we open up the bible this morning i pray you would open up our hearts to receive even if it's just that one thing that you want to encourage us with this morning in jesus name amen there was a a, i always you know love dad stories we're getting near father's day in a couple weeks right get your girls clean and get your girls out And uh, so there's a father who took out his young son. He wanted to teach him a lesson. So he placed his little boy on top of the railing of the fence on their back deck. Not a very smart thing to do if you can kind of get the, you know, railing is like a small little half fence. And so there he is. He's standing his son on the back deck and he's encouraging. He's saying, hey, I want to teach you a lesson. And so jump and I'll catch you. Boy's like, I don't know, Daddy. Man, I don't know if I want to jump. He's like, Come on, come on, jump, and I'll catch you. I don't know, Daddy. I don't know. I don't know. Come on, jump, jump. I'll catch you. He goes, Okay, but it's just because you're saying it. And so the little boy jumps, and what does the dad do? Hops back, and he lets the little boy fall straight to the ground. Bet you didn't see that coming. He then picked up his son and he dusted his son off and he dried his tears. He said, son, now let that be a lesson to you. Nobody, nobody gives you anything in this life. Trust no one. It's all up to you. You got quiet because I think many of you probably realize as I do, most of America subscribes to this view. Most of America has a, in their heart of hearts, a sense of a trust no one. Everyone can or will at some point fail you. Everyone can or will at some point betray you. Trusting other people is one of the hardest things you can ask another human being to do. I think this father was actually probably trying to love his son in teaching him the realities of hard life on earth. But here, unfortunately, is the problem. I'm about to turn around now and preach and teach about trusting God for provision. Now, how do you preach and teach on trusting God for provision when so many of us have been taught to trust nobody? It goes against our very cultural concept in fact many of us ascribe to the bible verse that says god helps those who help themselves it's the most famous bible verse that isn't even in the bible and yet we all know it so very well you know (laughs) 
Now, it's true that God does reward individual effort, but even our individual efforts are through the power and the grace of God. God opens the door, but he won't shove you off the couch to go through it. You have to walk through it. In fact, if there's anything I see rising so much in our day and age, and I'm sure COVID-19 had a big part of this, it's a real passivity, a real passivity to get up, get off the couch, go out the front door, and go do good what God has for you that day. Go work that job. Go help that neighbor. Go help that family member. Go offer that forgiveness. Uh, go buy that flower or buy that card. You know, there's, a, there's almost a, a passivity, an apathy that has really sort of made us sleepy and tired and laid back. And we have to bust out of it. And part of busting out of it is realizing that God has a lot more to give us, but in order to get those things that God has given us, we've got to get off the couch. Amen? And I don't mean just the actual couch. I mean sometimes the proverbial couch of our heart. Because you see, to do this requires the one thing that the father in the story neglected to teach his son, is that, you know what, sometimes he's right. Maybe you can't always trust people but you can always trust God. And of course, God comes through for us in a lot of various ways. Many of you know the story of the drowning man. It's probably one of the most famous stories that every preacher at one point or another has said, that there was a man who was drowning, and he's crying out to God, save me, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And so all of a sudden a boat comes by, and the boat, and the boat says to the guy, hey dude, you want me to throw you a life, life uh, ring? And he goes, no need to. God will save me. The boat guy kind of scratches his head and just drives right off, you know. Next, there's a kayaker. You know, he's like, hey, you want me to pull you up, haul you in, and I can kayak you to shore. Man goes, no need to. God will save me, you know. Finally, a piece of floating wreckage comes by the man, and he still allows it to float by. And so eventually the man drowns, and he goes to heaven, and he says, you know, God, why didn't, why didn't you save me? And God said, well, I sent a boat, a kayak, and a float. What more did you want? But this is the tension for so many of us. What does God do and what do we do? And I would submit to you this. It's not even the right question. It's a very logical question to ask, and I can see where we can ask that question as we're in relationship with a divine being we cannot see. There's, there can be a lot of confusion as to what does God do and what do I do. I want to solve that tension this morning by saying this, because that question will always leave you with a bit of confusion. And the answer always changes. What God might do in this circumstance, God may do something different in this circumstance. There isn't some formula. Well, God will go 30% of the way and we go 70% of the way. You have to almost erase that from your heart. God gave us the clue. What were the primary two words that Jesus said to people in the Gospels? The primary two words, they were what? Follow me follow me follow me and when you are following jesus you will have a sense of what you are to do and a supernatural trust that god will do only what he can do and some of you may say 
following Jesus is as confusing as trying to figure out what God is doing in my life. It does take a little bit of time. You have to hit pause on life sometimes. You have to hit pause on the television. You have to hit pause on cooking. You have to hit pause on working or commuting or whatever. Sometimes you do got to, you know, pull to the side of the road in life a little bit and say, you know what? I'm taking a minute to collect my thoughts and to collect my connection with God. And when we do that, we'll find that there are many things God is following that's calling us to follow him in. For example, one of my roles in life is I'm a husband. How is Jesus leading me as a husband to love my wife? He's leading me as a husband to love my wife financially in some senses as I work to make sure we can uh, continue to have the home we have. In other senses, it's relationally, you know. Uh, Men and women are very different straight across the board, so you have to learn this. When men come home from work, it's the last thing they want to talk about. When women come home from work, it's all they want to talk about, right? So we got a real problem here. We got a real problem here, you know? So, so you got to have a little bit of 50-50, you know? One thing I love about my wife, she'll go through the day, but not the whole day, you know? <laughs> and I have learned to stay in it, you know, in it to win it, so to speak, you know? But it's, it's, it's part of that, it's part of that following Jesus in that call. My, I have a role as a father. What am I, what am I, how am I following Jesus as a father? in helping my kids to become Jesus followers. And by the way, in helping them to become Jesus followers, they learn far more by what is caught than by what is taught. They can see me say it, but they want to see it work in my life. In fact, one, of the, one time uh, recently I was talking to one of my kids and I said, you know, I preach for a living. I, I, words are my job. I said, when you look back over being my son, do you see a lot of words? He goes, no. <laughs> he goes, in fact, I don't see many words at all. But I did watch what you do. And that's the kind of stuff where you know you're following. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, believe me. There are a, you know, a, a, a side, side driveway of mistakes through almost every little thing. But as you begin to grasp all the different ways that we're following Jesus, you'll find that this question of where does God end and where do you begin begins to just fade into clarity rather than confusion. Now, there's always kind of a particular sort of people when you start talking about this where they'll say, well, you know what, Tom? My life situation is kind of unfixable by by the holy spirit you know you don't know where i've been you don't know where i've done you don't know i mean i have had certain habits for years and i don't mean just years i mean decades you know there are things entrenched in my personality that they're just i'll, I'll just never overcome them or i'll never be able to get any sense of self-control over them you may be deep in debt may have failed in school may have been fired from jobs personal or emotional struggles or fears and insecurities that hold you back, health problems, personality problems, addictions, bad habits, prejudices, fears, or maybe you've had a series of personal failures. And I believe it can begin to feel like, you know what, there are certain things I'm just going to have to accept as unfixable about me. Here's what I want you to remember. There is no situation or thing that's happened to you that God cannot get you out of. 
There's a pastor at a conference one told, once told this story that some years ago he was learning how to fly. And this is true. I've verified this with other people who have learned how to fly. And all, at some point in the instruction on flying, the instructor told him, all right, now I want you to go into a steep climb and stall the plane. What? I want you to go into a steep climb and stall the plane. So he did, and then the plane begins to spin out of control. And the pilot in training looks at the instructor, and he begins to get par- you know, panicky, and he, he begins to, you know, what are we doing? Da-da. He begins to shout at the instructor. And after a few seconds, after he's venting to the instructor, the instructor said to me, there is no position you can get this airplane into that I cannot get you out. So do as I say. Let's try this again. Go into a steep climb. And that's exactly what God says today to us. There's no situation we can get to into in our lives where God can't get us out. He is that confident instructor that knows, no, you're not going to end in a nosedive. He knows how to write the plane. He's done it many times before with billions of people that have come before us, and he can do it with you. Amen? We hear one-liners all the time. You know, God won't give you more than you can handle. This too shall pass. If God closes the door, he'll open a window, right? This morning I want to talk about another one, probably one of the most important ones. Where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. While the exact five-word phrase doesn't necessarily appear in the Bible, it is kind of a shortened version of a longer scripture that you'll find in the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. Old Testament prophet Isaiah. So if you have a Bible, go there, Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to read verses 9 to 11. Starts with this. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help, and God will say, I'm here. If you remove the yoke, which is oppression, from among you, the finger pointing, which is accusation, and the wicked speech, I think we all know what that is, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noon. That's the noon sun is like the bright light. Anyway, I think you get it. Then verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually and provide for you even in parched places. He will rescue your bones and you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. Now sometimes as a preacher you interpret the Bible and I came up with this beautiful interpretation. But it wasn't as good as the scriptures themselves. So I want to just look at these bullet points real quick and let God speak for himself. This is what he wants to tell you this morning. It all begins with calling on the Lord. Everything you see after here begins with a calling on the Lord. God, help me. One time one of the youth came to me and said, I I don't think I can pray. I said, can you say, Jesus, help me? Yeah, I can say that. Then say it. 
Jesus, help me. You prayed. It doesn't have to be a paragraph. It doesn't have to be an essay. It doesn't have to be a treatise. It can just be three words from the heart. But it's a calling on him. And this is what happens. One, the Lord will answer you. That's what Isaiah is saying. The Lord will answer you. Two, he says, I'm here. I don't know why Isaiah put that in there, but there is something powerful that when the Lord answers you, he's not answering you from Pluto. He's answering you from Earth. Does that make sense? You know, I'm answering you. I'm here. Number three, stop blaming everybody. As long as we're blaming everybody, you will not get out of whatever situation you're in. Whatever issue you may be going with, whatever disorder has been following you for lifelong, whatever struggle you've had, whatever addiction you've had, so long as the blame is on others, it's stalling your release. So he says, stop blaming everybody. Stop arresting everybody. You're not called to be everybody's. You don't have to do that. Stop blaming everybody. Stop arresting everybody. Open your heart. Help everybody you can. And God will shine through you. And here comes the promise. Fear, depression, anger, bitterness, gloom and doom will vanish in the bright light of God's faithful promises and unbeatable power. That's where God is guiding. You may say, where is God guiding? It's right there in that Call on the Lord, he'll answer you, he'll be with you, stop blaming, stop arresting, open your heart, help all you can, God will shine through you, and all of those things will melt under the noonday sun that just shines the brightness of God's freedom and power in your life. Amen? If you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and take it, flip it over, and very quickly, next 10 minutes, we're going to go ahead and go through those four talking points first thing is this number one don't forget the God guides part <laughs> you know we can say a saying so much we actually forget you know we, we roll over the important parts you know where God guides he provides we think he provides is where we need to focus on no 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 first of all don't forget it's the God guides part that we're focusing on here whatever we lack whatever you need God saw that need long before we ever realized it. Now, there are kind of three ways. I'm pulling a little bit from, from some of the stuff I learned from seminary here, but this was good. This stuck with me. There's kind of three ways in which God meets one of our needs or, or all of our needs. So if we go to the next slide here, I'll go through these real quickly. And the first one is God sees our problem, and I should have probably put in the present, all right? Sometimes there are problems we have in the present and we see it and we ask it and God meets the need in the present, right? Adam is created, he's in this garden, he's got all these animals and he's naming all these animals and he's realizing there's a boy hippopotamus and there's a girl hippopotamus and he's naming all these people and he realizes, wait a minute, there's nobody for me. God sees the need and puts Adam into a deep sleep and provides Eve. 
and it gets lost in the English translation. But in the Hebrew, he writes a beautiful love poem. He had a need. God met it in the present right then and there. The very first thing I ever did in ministry in 1999, gosh, that sounds so long ago now when I say it, um, I was a youth pastor first time. And the first thing I did as a youth pastor, I didn't even do a youth service. I did a youth concert, a youth worship concert. We went to it. We drove to it from western Washington to eastern Washington. And me and my, my friend who was just graduated from high school, he kind of was doing the administration. I was, was a few years out of college. I was doing kind of the leadership. I realize now I should have reversed it. I should have done the administration and had the 18-year-old, you know, be the do everything else. But anyway, I've learned from my mistakes. So we get there, and we're about to go into the concert, and I've got 14 kids and 13 tickets. Now you might say, why didn't you give up your ticket? I could have, but what do you think those parents would have said when all their kids went to a concert and the one adult in the group was not there, you know? So I realized I couldn't give mine. I couldn't give the other leader's ticket. So I had, I, you know, there was a kid who was not going to be able to go. And I remember I was kind of getting that, you know how you get those shivers in your body, like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Maybe I'm not called to be a pastor. Maybe I shouldn't have taken this job. You know, you just got that all rolling through your mind. And I <laughs> just remember going, Jesus, I need a ticket, and I need it quick. <laughs> I mean, I just said it, something like that, you know, just like, you know, God, I don't know how this works. I don't know if it works this way, but I need a ticket, and I need it quick. Now, I'm not kidding when I tell you this. A few seconds later, someone taps on my shoulder and says, I have an extra ticket. Do you want it? Oh, my goodness, do I want it. <laughs> I'll tell you the rest of that story another time because there's a supernatural flair to it. But for the moment, I just want to make that point. Sometimes you ask for it in the present and the need is met. All right? Sometimes God sows a seed. You may say, what does that mean? That means God actually already provided the need in the, for in the past. And now as, as your need, be, you become aware of the need, you look back and realize, wait a minute, this is why God did that, so that I would have this ready to go. When God called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, Moses said, God, you want me to do all these things, you want me to perform all these miracles, but I, you know, I don't have what it takes to do that. What does God say? Moses, what is in your hand what was in his hand was a shepherd's staff remember Moses was a shepherd so he'd take that staff and he'd beat the the behinds of sheep that weren't getting in line you know so he had a probably a nice thick staff that he had probably had for years it's not like they made a new one each year he had that that was his staff he said Moses throw that staff on the ground and he did the staff became us uh, we call it a snake right he picked it up and became, see, God had provided the need long ago for Moses. He just needed to look and see what is in his hand. So for some of you, 
Here's us, here, here is how this is going to work. You say, God, I have a need. First question you should ask is this. Have you already provided for it? Is it already in my hands and I never even recognized it? If so, then trust that that what is in your hands was God's provision for that need. If you're like, nope, it's not in my hands, then could be like that youth ticket. <laughs> you're going to get a tap in a few seconds and God is going to meet that need. Or it could come to the third one. God has sent his word. And this is at some point where most of you will fall. You have a need. You don't see any provision from the past. You're asking and asking and asking and God doesn't seem to be doing anything in the present. He has sent his word, which is the future position, the future provision. What do I mean? There are 7,000 487 promises in the Bible. Let me say it again. 7,487 promises in the Bible. And all of those promises are for the future. So God, what God is saying by 7,487 promises, he's saying this, I know the wait is tough, but trust me, the wait is worth it. Amen? The provision is coming. No, it's not a staff in your hand. No, I'm not going to tap your shoulder and get the ticket. The provision is coming somewhere down the line, and I'm calling you to wait and be patient. Amen? <coughs> Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21 says this. This is a great verse. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Where's, don't forget the God guides part. Where is he guiding you? Well, he might be guiding you to forgive somebody. He might be guiding you to trust him with a fear that you hold on to for dear life. He might be asking you to give up an addiction that you have had for many, many years. Or he might be asking you to be a missionary to Borneo. Either way, Isaiah 30, 21, whether you turn to the right or turn to the left, you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. You'll feel a peace in the decision. Number two, don't forget the God provides part. It's God provides part. He'll never give you anything that goes against the Bible, and he'll never give you anything that would harm you or isn't what's best for you. That's tough because sometimes we are absolutely convinced of what's best for us and it doesn't always align with what God has said is best for us. But I would tell you this, when you pray, try to avoid foolishly answering that prayer. And I'm one of those who is guilty of it more than ever. You'll hear me pray and you'll hear me kind of give God the answer in the prayer. <laughs> I think God's going, Tom, quit wasting our time with this. I'm going to answer it. I know what needs to be done. Just lift, lift it to me and leave it with me. That's what God's saying to all of us. Lift it to me, lift it up to me, and leave it with me. Number three, the timing of the provision and the step of faith don't always match, right? Abraham and Sarah were told they were going to have a miraculous child. It took 25 years 
for that child to come. Abraham was just shy of 75, and Sarah was just, I say that right? Yeah, Sarah was just shy of 65, right? So they, I mean, at, 60, at 75 and 65, they're already thinking, wow, this is going to be an amazing miracle if this happens. But then the years start going. And Abraham makes a mistake, right? He's like, oh, you know what? Maybe what God meant is that to have a surrogate. So through a surrogate uh, woman, he has a child, right? But that's not where God was guiding. That's where Abraham guided himself, right? He wanted to sort of answer God's prayer. So he has a child with another woman. And God says, that's not the child I promised you. That's not the child I talked about. I'm going to take care of him. But no, Abraham, I don't need you to answer my own, the, my own call on your life. So the years go by and by and by. I think by the time Abraham had turned, oh, I don't know, let's say 90, <laughs> he probably thought, you know, maybe I just had too much pizza that night. You know, maybe, maybe I didn't hear God's voice clear at all. 91, 92, 93, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And then all of a sudden, Sarah says, something feels weird down here. And all of a sudden, and Abraham's going, really, God, at 99 and 89, this is when you choose to do this? But everybody in that tribe looked at that 89-year-old woman and said, no, that must be God. That must be God. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's scratching their head going, no, 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 no. That must be God. Sometimes the delay in God providing something is for others to see your walk of faith in it. And when it does come to pass, they'll all turn and say, that was God. That was God. Amen? And finally, the last one. What God demands of us, he supplies to us. What God demands of us, he supplies to us. That same child that we've been talking about, a decade or so later, decade and a few years later, God says, I want you to take that child and I want you to sacrifice him to me. On Mount Moriah. A lot of things wrong with that one. First of all, God is not into child sacrifice. Second of all, this is the child of promise through which all the nations of the world would be blessed. Abraham has got to be scratching his head completely, but he does it anyway because God said to it. So he's at the base of the mountain, he's lifting the knife, and God stops him. And God says, Now I know. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son and your only son. And at that moment, Abraham sees an animal, a ram, caught in the bush. And that's the animal he's to sacrifice, not his son. What do we walk away from here? There is nothing that God demands of you that he does not supply for you to do. If God demands time, He'll free up your schedule so that you have time. If God wants you to give love, he'll fill up your heart with love. 
and give it to you. If God demands holiness, well, he'll give you holiness because he died on the cross and he can give you holiness. If God needs you to give money, he'll provide for you the money to give. There's nothing that God will demand of you that he will not supply to you. In the highlands of Scotland, sheep, Scotland is, um, you know, it's very rocky and very, very, lots of plateaus and things like that. And the shepherds have a particularly hard time because the sheep will jump down onto a cliff in order to get the green grass that the other sheep haven't eaten. And when this happens, you know, especially if the cliff is near the ocean, uh, it can be very dangerous because the sheep could fall into the ocean and die and kill itself. So a shepherd at that point has a very important thing to do. When the sheep has jumped down to a cliff to get the greener grass, the shepherd has to do this process. He has to let the sheep eat all the grass. And then he has to let the sheep sit there for four to five days and nearly starve to death. And then when it's weak and bleeding, bleating, you know what that means? Not bleeding, but bleating. And it's kind of on its side. Then the shepherd can rappel down the cliff, put the rope around the sheep, and pick it up. So a reporter said, well, why don't you just jump down there in the beginning and spare the sheep all the... He said, because the sheep will jump right off. And sometimes God does the same thing with us. Sometimes he gives us time to sort of calm down weaken down so that when he finally jumps into our lives we don't jump right off the cliff because it was more of God than we wanted in the moment. Amen? Where God guides he provides. I don't know how to explain this well. I've chosen these scriptures but I can tell you this. We pastors and missionaries, people who do this, and it's their living, it's their vocation. I can tell you from nearly 25 years of doing this, that statement is so true. It's so true. Where God guides, He provides. There have been times I was sure, I was sure of where God was guiding, and I thought, you know what? It's not going to happen because we don't have the money or we don't have the people or we don't have this or we don't have that. And I'm like, see, God, this is why I can't preach this sermon because this is going to be the example where you fail and it all is for nothing and they're all going to laugh at me. No less than six times have I been in deep doo-doo like that. And I thought, this is going to be the one where they all go, see, Tom really is an idiot. You're laughing. <laughs> and yet, all six times, beyond my wildest imagination, God confirmed that he was guiding that way, and he provided. And it wasn't always with money. And it wasn't always with people. But he did it. So I can tell you right now, you can believe that 
if you have any trust in me, I will not be the dad that jumps back when you leap off the ledge. I'll be there to catch you, but more importantly, God will be there to catch you because where God guides, he provides. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Worship team, come up forward. Before we close this morning, I'd like to give just a very simple invitation. Just kind of close your eyes for a moment. Imagine yourself on that ledge. You're going to jump off it. God's there to catch you. Requires the one thing that's the hardest thing for us to do. Trust God. Suppose first you've got to believe that God exists. That's probably hurdle number one. Hurdle number two is after you know God exists, it's trusting that he's good. That'll be good to you. I'd like to pray an honest prayer this morning. So please, congregation, if you could repeat this prayer after me if you feel so moved. Say, Father God, this is hard. Trust, hope, provision. But this day, I decide, despite my feelings, to place my trust in the Lord God, that you will forgive me, that you will fill me, that you will provide for me. So in this moment, I say it again. Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.